Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. Well, this is our last class of this topic. I came on to hear that there's another class that Rabbi Pernick and I will be teaching. I don't know about it yet, but can't wait to teach it. Um, we thought that we would open up with a topic, just like we have for the past three seasons, um, a topic that came to mind in terms of the halakha of the episode. So just things that we noticed in the episode that we would have talked about, whether or not it was the last episode of the whole show. And then we thought we would spend some time talking about the show as a whole, and then we would kind of wrap things up um, and uh, and I guess take suggestions as to what comes next, um, which is very exciting for me. I kind of assumed that Rabbi, Parn- Rabbi Parnik was done with me and that I would have to pull teeth for us to do something, but um, it looks like you're all doing my job for me. So it'll be great to teach our next class together. <laughs> uh, okay. So Rabbi Parnik, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, great. Okay. So the, uh, the topic that we were thinking about there's there's not so much halakhically in this episode um you know to really talk about but there was one piece that and i it was actually an interesting an interesting segue because um we back when pre sergim when we had our shtisel class um in, in new orleans we one of the topics that came up in one of the episodes was about the, to- the concept of what's called shmirat enai, or sort of guarding your eyes, which is sort of the the opposite side of sniut. So, right, sniut is is about modesty and dress and so forth. But on the flip side, there's this idea of shmirat enai, which is sort of guarding your eyes, which is typically for the you know the other party. If if women are expected to be, you know, because typically it's women who are expected to be modest men who are expected to sort of avert their gaze or not be, you know, gaze, not looking at women for, you know, for the purpose of, you know, of getting sexual pleasure. Um, often the way this actually presents practically, though, is that it rather than it being sort of women are expected to be modest, men are expected to sort of avert their eyes, you end up with things like you see in this episode where there's a, you know, reasonably modest picture of Hodaya on a poster advertising her new radio show and it's being, you know, everywhere that it appears, it's being sort of blacked out and spray painted over. And we talked a little bit about how this is still to this day a very common um, phenomenon. Let me see here. I'm just going to pull up. Um, Like this was a uh, actually, let's do this article. So I, I brought in this article earlier, which is just from t- three weeks ago um, in Israel, right, from October 1st, that was about actually a, a 94-year-old Holocaust survivor um, where there's a, a picture outside of, I guess, Jerusalem City Hall of this 94-year-old Holocaust survivor and then uh, underneath it, I guess, a picture of a uh, of you know an activist or something like that. And they and this picture of this 94-year-old woman was spray-painted over, much like Hodaya's picture was spray-painted over. And I think it's in six different times they cleaned the graffiti, and every single time it was graffitied over again. It was spray-painted over again. Um, so this is something that is, you know, took place in the episode, but is very much 
you know, very much a uh, thing in real life that in, in Jerusalem, particularly not if you go to Tel Aviv or other places in Israel, not so much, but, um, but in Jerusalem and not just in like Maya Shari, but like really kind of around, you know, maybe not everywhere in Jerusalem, but certainly in sort of big public places like city hall in those areas, you will have people just go and spray paint over pictures of women. Um, and so this sort of gets to the idea of Shmirat Enayim, that someone might, well, it's, it's its own whole conversation about the way that by avoiding putting pictures of women in newspapers and magazines and so forth. And textbooks. And textbooks and et cetera, like suddenly everything about women becomes sexualized in ways that is not remotely sexualized, you know. A 94-year-old oligarch survivor shouldn't be a sexualized image for people. Yeah, Jeff, were you going to say something? I, I, just a little off topic. Do people get arrested? I mean, he, uh, defacing property or, or destroying property? Is that a possibility? So, yeah. So I mentioned in one of these articles, like a beetle or something. Um, in one of these articles, it mentioned that Basically, like, there's only been one arrest made in such cases. Let me see if I can find. I think, I think I it's mean, often they have to catch somebody that they are fined. Often there's a fine associated. At least that's what I heard about when I was living in Israel. Um, but it's also possible that, to Renee's point, like, they're not always not always found. <laughs> um, it's not always the case, like we saw in our episode, where they're kind of accosted by someone and, and known. Right. Um, right. I mean, this article here talks about how, you know, the entrance to the city's monitors by surveillance cameras. In theory, it should be possible. It says during a uh, police representative said the, that over the last three years, 21 files had been opened following vandalizing of women's photos in public areas. He said that all these files had been closed except for one, which had been transferred to the state prosecutor's office. I assume it being closed. I don't know. Maybe that means they arrested someone or fined someone. Um, I sort of assume it's, there was just like a, they didn't have any evidence of who did it. And so it was closed in that way. So it seems like important enough to continue on, which in the scheme of things, it's obviously horrendous, but it's, it's nowhere near murder. Um, So I think that's, that's another, that's another piece to this. And we, we come across that all the time and, just the justice system in general, like what takes priority. And I'm sure that in Israel, this is not for a whole host of reasons, many of which are obviously not correct, um, but uh, but probably isn't making it to the top of the list. Yeah, I mean, this article was talking a little bit about sort of like the appeasement factor of like the fact that no one gets in trouble for these things, then it right. just allows it to be sort of normalized and sort of like this idea of women's photos being to face to this way and, and people who are spending money on publicity and it's just being destroyed right, like right. it's sort of okay it's not a top priority but at the same time if it's if there's a sense that there's no repercussions then right. it just will happen sort of publicly the way we see here where it's not like hiding <laughs> you know it's sort of you know pretty openly these people go and, and they do this we have a lot of hands up okay i saw norman norman rachel i think we're up first so let's go we'll go in the order i have you on my screen this problem with defacing pictures of women and removing women has gone on for quite a few years now to the extent that um, from newspapers routinely um, use Photoshop to eliminate 
women from pictures from the news. So, for example, when Secretary Clinton was running for president, um, she was not pictured in some newspapers. And you'd have pictures of a people, people around her, and she would be removed. Um, and and it, it goes to such an extent that there is an edition of um, Miguelos Esther, um, yeah. with pictures where the oh, there's no picture of Vashti, no picture of Esther. The only female depicted at all is an incredibly hideous picture of a defaced uh, daughter of Haman. And yeah. it's it's really very very weird. And they, as you as you mentioned, Rabbi Pernick, they're doing this all over uh, in towns where there's a large from population and in many areas of Jerusalem, both from and non-from areas. And it's a, it's a really terrible thing that Iraq has thought about, but of course it is, as you say, a low priority for the police. Iraq in this case is just the Israel. Israel religious religious action action center. Center, right. Israel religious action center, which is the, civil rights arm of the American reform movement. In Israel. In Israel. Right, right. yeah. And they're on their email list. And not only are their pictures defacing women, or def- ruining and eliminating photographs of women, but there are some communities where women are supposed to walk in the street while men walk on the sidewalks. Um, I, it, it makes me so angry. I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. It's, it's just not what I think. Uh, it, I don't think that's what God wants of anybody. Right. I, I will just, I'll just share very briefly that, um, you know, in terms of the, Rye Pernick has heard me tell this story, and maybe I told this story at the beginning of this class, but that's where we tell this story many times. Um, in terms of the kind of the disproportionate um, access that men and women have in terms of just sneeze in general, um, and the balance of who needs to be sneeze and be, you know, modestly dressed and modestly acting and all of those kinds of things as opposed to the other. So when I was living in Israel, we went to Mea Sharim to buy books. Do you remember this story, Rabbi Pernick? Are you paying attention? No. Okay. Um, so went to Mea Sharim to buy books. My friend Sarah and I dressed like completely modestly. We There's a hill, the way that we were walking, there's a hill in. And at the bottom of the hill, we took from our backpacks long skirts and long sleeve shirts. And she put a hat on because she's married. And we walked into Mea Sharim. We looked the part. We were really, really well dressed. And we were, we had gotten off the sidewalk because a man was coming towards us and there wasn't enough room for us to not touch. So we got in, we walked into the street as, as one does. Uh, and, um, as we were walking by, again, completely dressed, completely sneezely, this man who walked by us stopped and we were a little bit nervous. He was going to stop and talk to us. So we stopped. And instead of talking to us, he pulled down his pants and peed on the side of the road. And very loudly, because this is something that my friend Sarah would do, she said out loud, 
I have to be dressed like this, but you cannot have pants on, right? There's, there's no sense of, oh, but that's not sneeze, right? For you to just be, you know, relieving yourself in front of all of us. Um, and yet we have to be, we have to make sure that our ankles don't show. So there's definitely, it, it's imbalanced in terms of, of the unbalance, in terms of the, the, way in which females are being regarded um, with their sexuality. And you see it in these types of eliminations as well, whether it's on a poster board and just with spray paint or completely removed, as Norm said, from a publication or from textbooks or, um, or anything. But then as Rai Pernick said, women become overly sexualized because if you've never seen a woman before, then the first time you see a woman, you're very taken with the fact that there are differences to her body and to her physique. So I just, I wanted to point that out um, as kind of a, a dramatic episode that, that plays into this. Okay. Rabbi Barbara, then Renee, then Leonard and Rebecca. Right. I, I agree with what everyone has said. The thing that gets me angry about all of this is that once again, it places all the responsibility on the woman. Yeah. Women, you know, so this guy, you know, they pinch you on the bus, which has happened to me, or, you know, he takes down his pants and pees. It's like, you shouldn't be looking. Right, right. He shouldn't be on the bus so that he could do that to you. I mean, it's very much, it's so interesting to me because I, when we think about the Taliban and the restrictions that they place on women, I don't see much difference. Yeah. And it is, it makes, I agree with you. It makes me angry. I'm with everyone. Well, I would say the difference is that you know, with Taliban, it's sort of a formal governmental structure. Here, again, it's sort of this informal. No one is saying, I mean, there might be rabbis out there saying, but there's, it's not like at a governmental level, meaning like they're appealing to the mayor. The mayor, right, the mayor is like, this is bad. Um, and the deputy mayor also, you know, so like there are people saying this is a problem. It's just that, right, it's sort of a, a more like grassroots level issue um, unless Taliban in that way, but you're right in terms of the erasure of women, that part is certainly, you know. And and just, you know, I think part of the issue is, and it's not just this issue, it's all the other issues that don't get taken care of because they don't want to deal with this issue because it's not big enough. Mm -hmm. It's not enough people complaining or they don't want to, they don't want to, um, offend whoever is in their right mm-hmm. uh, their right wing party that's supporting them. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. I think you know this this goes into the the um the area of how to how to give information to kids, right? That that sometimes well here let me put this way. There are schools of thought that believe that if you never mention the words alcohol or drugs or sex that kids will just come to not know what those things are and then never be exposed to them until they should be. And <laughs> there is a school of thought that says, if a kid asks to taste the wine or asks to know what sex is or asks to know why, at least in Los Angeles, there are dispensaries for this thing called 
pot, right? When, if you explain those things, then the knowledge is there to be able to just not be mystified by it, just to see it as this thing that is a thing. Um, and I think that that, that the balance somewhere in between there is how you get knowledge of that which shouldn't be overdone, right? That you should have some knowledge of it to be able to have an awareness of how much is too much and, and that if you're going to be exposed to it at some point in your life. But the complete, you know, erasure of women is going to then just make you more excited to see a woman as opposed to the opposite of this is a woman, <laughs> just like your mother, right? This is, this is someone who, you know, in that world, you're going to marry one day and all of these kinds of things. And that allows you to have a conversation then to not make it so overly sexualized and the opposite is happening. So this cycle continues. Um, and that I, at least to me as an educator, that's the biggest issue that if there was some amount of education at the beginning of development, that it wouldn't be as hypersexualized and overly, um, yeah, uh, taboo to talk about. Okay, Renee and then Leonard. Well, one of the other things that bothered me was that um, it seemed as though Hodaya wasn't even, uh, uh, what do you call it, consulted on whether or not she would give permission to have that billboard put up. Because the first time that she saw it, she seemed really surprised that it was there. Maybe, yeah. When she saw it on a bus or when she saw it on the billboard, I don't remember which, but the first time she saw right. it, she was very surprised. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, it's def- definitely possible. And who knows if she would have cared, right? She, yeah, she maybe seems she to wouldn't care have. after it's being defaced, but who knows if she well, would have. She seems to care more after her students bring it up in class and it sort mm-hmm. of gets in the way of her. The defacing thing, I mean, that does seem to bother her as well, but it seems like the, the impact on her teaching seems to, you know, that seems to be but a But that wasn't thing. about the poster. I mean, but you know it might have been. Because that's because they because they were talking about it. You're seeing oh, the poster. You're seeing your teacher. You know, yeah. Got it. Got it. I didn't. Okay. Great. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't connect those two things. Um, okay. Leonard and Rebecca. Yeah. So uh, two things. Uh, you've you've already said most of what I wanted to say, but I do remember a case a few years back in uh, Beit Shemesh down the hill from Jerusalem, where a woman, an Orthodox woman, who was modestly dressed, was accosted or whatever, because apparently some people thought she wasn't modestly dressed enough. And uh, that uh, got a fair amount of press, at least in the Jewish press at the time. This was, I don't know, maybe five years ago or so. Uh, Regarding the posters, you know, it never occurred to me this was happening because of Sneas. I just thought these were vandals who like putting mustaches on, you know, on people's faces. I didn't realize, I didn't realize that was what was going on. I'm still not convinced that was what was going on. Yeah. I think the way to know, at least in this particular case in the show, to know that that's what was going on was that she was wearing a similar top to the one that I'm wearing now. Um, And they blacked out her chest um, to make sure that you couldn't see you couldn't see her chest with the V-neck that she was wearing. Um, I think that's, if it had just been her mouth and her eyes, potentially, I, you know, it could have, you could have seen it as one way or the other. But I think as soon as it becomes body parts that according to the, you know, 
laws of snoot, so to speak, um, you would know to cover that. That's at least for me what the red flag was in terms of the vandalism in this show. I don't know if probably Parnik has thoughts on that that are different, but. Yeah. I mean, I think initially I also thought, I mean, so also knowing just the the context in which like, this is a regular thing in Jerusalem, you know, about, Right, this is something that happens frequently whenever whenever really there's there's big posters of women where women are you know you can see them this frequently you have these issues um but i agree when it wasn't just like a mustache it was blacking out her face and and black blacking out you know her you know collarbone and so forth um and i, I think also the fact that it was sort of like all of the posters it wasn't just one it was sort you know so i think that, uh, no. I, was also, I was also going to add that maybe it's also a way of uh, protesting the content that it was a woman speaking. So you're listening, sure. listening to a woman read poetry and broadcast, oh, or if you object to the poem because of politics, or you recall Azaria had like, who was it? Naughty who thought, Oh, that was such a suggestive, you know, yeah, sexual poem, poem, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So it could be the content too, that people, might deface something for a radio talk show that uh, um, they object to the content under yeah, the guise sure. of sneeze. Right, like putting the, the marker across the mouth to be like Kolisha, right, that you don't want to hear a woman's voice. And um, yeah, for sure. I think it's all very suggestive in terms of the, the, the things that they do not want to see or hear or, or know about um, based on her presence. Right, Pranik, was there was there another topic or thought that you wanted to bring up in the realm of halakha? No, I mean that was really I felt like the the main halachic or sort of pseudo halachic um topic, but you know, just again, you know, with that kind of focus on how right, even the term of shmirat inai and guarding your eyes, right, seems to indicate that this is an obligation on the man. Yeah. And now somehow Shmirati 9 becomes eliminating things, right? It's yeah. not just, okay, I'm going to avert my gaze. I remember we, was it in this class where we fought about Yonatan Razel? I think it was in this class. Yonatan Razel, who's a famous Israeli yeah. um, musician. You know what I'm talking about? I do. So, where he was playing a concert that was a concert ah, yes, we for, about this. Yeah, for women. Yeah. And, um, you know, and when women started dancing, he like cover, he like put a, a thing over his face so he couldn't see them, but he kept on playing. Right. And I was like, that's great because Shmirati Naim, right. It's, he is saying, this is something that's not sneeze for me to be watching women dance, but rather than saying you can't dance, I'm going to cover my eyes so that you can continue to dance. And now we're both happy. Right. Um, yeah. I, w- and- I still wouldn't say this would be one of those moments that I would, uh, that I would like kick you under the table if we were in person. It wasn't great. <laughs> it was That's great right? like, he's he's not he's no, not. No, I know what you mean. I know what you play. mean. He's not compromising his halachic position. You know, yeah, so. great. I would say that it's still offensive to take something and put it over your eyes. Whether I think I said this when you first explained this story, whether or not. Whether or not it's less offensive because he's not telling the women to stop doing what they're doing, it's still extremely offensive that he is very publicly changing his look, right? By covering himself in a veil 
to not see the women dancing, that would make the women embarrassed. And I, I actually think it's, I think it's the opposite. I think it, I think it's a way of signaling to the women that you can dance without worrying about you know snoot and things. I my eyes are covered, right? If he had just like closed his eyes without visually demonstrating that they might be wondering is this is this sneeze whatever but he's saying look i'm covering like i'm he's demonstrating the fact he's showing them publicly you know i'm covering i'm averting my gaze so you can feel free to dance because this is all women except for me and i'm not looking so i think it's actually the opposite i think it's it, it's it's a way of showing to the women you don't have to worry about me looking they're at not you. worried if they, they are, were worried they wouldn't be doing it They wouldn't be there in that space if they were worried about dancing in front of a man. They're not worried. He's worried, which again, is fine. It's fine if he's worried, but I think that all I'm, all I'm picking on you for is saying like, that was great. I don't think. I think it's great. I still think it was great. Okay. I disagree. Yeah, Jeff. I just, (laughs) we were in Schwat a couple of years ago. And I think we were waiting. We were all, there was 20, 21, uh, 21 of us in Temple and maybe maybe half women at least. We were sitting waiting to go to the next uh, place where we were going to see. And this young uh, yeshiva bocha uh, came by dressed in all black, you know, black. And he took his hat. As soon as he came close to us, he took his hat off and he put it over his face. And I didn't realize what, what he, why until, you know, the rabbi explained it. But he, did, he wasn't going to look upon women in public. And we weren't dancing or anything. He was just sitting around, and he just covered his face. And I, I just thought that was odd, but I didn't really know what the, you know, what the story was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with Rabbi Pernick that it is always better when the man, if in that situation, can take the responsibility upon himself. Going back to Rabbi Barbara's point, can take the responsibility upon himself to say. This shouldn't be on you. This is on me. I still hold by the fact though that I don't think that it's okay or makes people feel comfortable by signaling in such a dramatic way to put something over your face. Um, just either don't be the performer or know that it might happen and then find another way to deal with it. Um, but I, I think... I think that is that is still embarrassing and and still makes the woman or women feel like they've done something they've done something wrong. Um, personally, um, Renee asked a question having nothing to do with you know Tom Roselle, who I actually like a lot. His music is great. Everyone should and his, and Nishmirade Naim is pretty solid also. Okay, well you can you you go on a show and you talk about his Shmirat Naim and I'll talk about his music and we'll see who goes further. Um, all right, so Renee said, "What about Nati and Rayut sitting alone in a closed car?" Rabbi um, <laughs> going, yeah, we. I mean, in, in back in Shtisel, yeah, it, it's whole, going back to your. Are there other halachic issues? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. no, it is. It is certainly a halakhic issue. We actually back in the day with uh, Shtisel, we had a class on Yichud in a car. No, we did um, that in this class too. Did we? Yeah, when Nazi was in the car with one of his first flings. Interesting. Okay, so yeah, Yichud in a car is a is a thing, kind of. Um, right. It's basically there's a difference between if you're if you're going along a sort of a public thoroughfare, then it's really not considered Yichud. But if you're 
not just along the main road, then it more is considered. And in this case, there's a lot of Yehudis. <laughs> they're like alone in the wilderness together. Like they're pretty alone. Um, so yes, there are definitely Yichud issues there, I should say. There, not that there aren't other halachic things in this episode. That is, you know, if also, we want to talk about Yichud, that is very much a Yichud uh, thing. Also Yichud or no Yichud, I think that that it is very clear that that is an intimate action, whether you're Jewish or not, right? Like to be to be in the wilderness near nobody in a car, like, why weren't they inside the house, in a car... DVD player, the DVD player. Was in in a, a very small, I know, I know, but in a very small space, watching a movie, like, you don't have to be Jewish or halakhically observant to know that that feels like a very intimate moment. So it was definitely Yehud, but also just kind of oozing with intimacy, even if nothing happened, very clearly... Um, a very close, intimate act that, you know, I, I, people are not doing with just like their friends um, on a regular basis. But uh, at least I don't think. Other other topics are on this particular episode. Did anybody not like how it ended? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way Jeff does. Like, it was fun. It like could have been a better ending, I thought, but... Um, Rebecca Leonard, did you want anything? Um, yeah, I had two comments. Um, first, you were uh, we were talking a little bit last week about the goats, and I, yeah. uh, you know, I was on the iPhone. It was hard to participate, so yeah. I didn't uh, say anything at the time. But I was just thinking back. You know, I always like to know what the um, title of the episode is. So the episode was Chad Gad Ya. So you know, just if you, it, it's interesting how how four of the main characters found their way out to the farm there and, um, you know, the wilderness and, and interacted and, you know, contemplated things with the goats around. And so Chad God, yeah, I was just thinking is just part of the cycle of life, you know, in, in the Chad God, yeah story, you know, the the kid dies and um, you know, that's part of the cycle of life. So perhaps that's, you know, maybe what that represented with Amir finding, finding, um, finding the goat and all that and then full circle and then you know sometimes also you know you know you 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 know when somebody's born you think you know first first somebody passes away and then new life is born so maybe it was that too and then my other comment was about the ending I just would have liked to have seen when um Hodaya went to um what's his name uh Avri, when she knocked yeah. up the door and Avri answered and she went inside, I would have liked to have seen her see the red couch that he had bought. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about the really red wanted couch. from the sidewalk. It's a red so couch. Could see that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. That was a long time ago. Mm. Yeah. The, Remember the, the red couch? She, she sits on the red couch and then she asks him to come and help her take it home. And he says, I can't. And then he goes and he gets it and he brings it to his own home. I don't remember that. But. Yeah, she she kept asking people to help her take the yeah. couch. Yeah, that was a great episode. Yeah. yeah, she finally asked him, and and the people who she was asking were all ending up at that laundromat. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even that, that might have been couple, one that I missed. The older couple sat down on it, and so it, it had the laundromat and cleaning and all that was kind of it was a very interesting episode so yeah Yeah. she had really wanted that couch and he ended up 
in the end going back and buying it and not telling her. So yeah, yeah. Oh, he took it. I totally forgot about that. That's, totally, that's a great point. Okay, Norm and Rachel, Renee, and then Ron Barber. Um, I really liked what uh, Rebecca just mentioned about the the elderly couple that ended up at the laundromat. I thought that was uh, was very sweet. Yeah. In terms of what does a long, long good relationship look like mm-hmm. at the far end? Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I wanted to to raise, which we can come back to later, was kind of the different character act arcs. Did we like the way it ended? Mm-hmm. And I thought what happened with Amir and Yathat was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. I really liked that. Mm-hmm. And for the conversation that was suggesting this intimate connection between um, Nati and Reut, it's kind of like they're out there in the middle of nowhere. I don't quite get a budding romance between the two of them. Uh-huh. Um, but and I uh, think that she should take up with that guy who works in her firm. Who's, yeah. Who's he's not annoying. Kind of like no, he's not annoyed and he's very I, cute. I also want to address um, Renee's question because I think sitting in the car is a public place. People can see him through the windows um, so I don't think there's a whole logic problem with them being in the car together. If um, you're in the wilderness, I mean, it's more you're alone together in the wilderness. You're right that the car is a public place, but there's a broader Yichud issue going on. We're alone on. in the wilderness regardless. Yeah, exactly. The car doesn't change anything. The car, the house, outside, it doesn't really, it's all a Yichud. I mean, I with the-, the first time I saw um, an Orthodox date in a hotel and it was actually in, in suburban Washington, D.C., and it was pretty remarkable because I had just read an article not long before that in the Wall Street Journal about this, and there it was right right before us. Mm-hmm. Go to Jerusalem, and it's like everybody everywhere. going up and down an elevator or happening to walk on there uh, where they were sitting would yeah. see them. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. If you go to, you know, King David Hotel in Jerusalem or, you know, a lot of those hotels in Jerusalem. Anywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. That's, uh, yeah, it's great. We will get back to the character arcs. Um, It's a really great point, Rachel. And I I totally agree with Amir and Yifat. I thought it it ended in a really beautiful way. Um, And in terms of Nati and uh, Rayut, there's... when we talk more about the characters in a second, we can get more into this, but I'll just say simply that it seems to me that they are kind of both the most lost. And so they go into the wilderness and who knows if there's going to be a budding relationship or not, but it seems like because they're, they've kind of found the other person in, in the lost state. And at least they have one another in that, in that moment. At least that's how I read it. Um, and that can be comforting, whether that becomes a relationship or not, who knows, but that can become comforting, uh, if someone is feeling that way to, to have a similar, a similar, uh, partner in the feelings, uh, Renee and then Robbie Barber, I think. 
So I was going to say that I felt like it was a little schmaltzy, the ending, that, but that they did make the characters come full circle. Yeah. Except for, I, I agree, I was thinking the same thing that you did in terms of Nati and, and Ruth, that they were both kind of lost souls and, you know, they it, it made them appear more as they were both equals and and let we were left with the question of whether or not there's going to be a budding romance from that or not. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I would like to see that question answered. Yeah, it won't be. Sorry. <laughs> I know. It, I, that's the, uh, it would be hard to imagine. I can't would imagine. It? To imagine them together? No. Uh, I think that they're, they're too into themselves. Uh, in American spinoffs, it could be, you know, the Rio Donati show they need to. Yeah, exactly. Work it out. <laughs> Some other title than Scream, but uh, that's left open. And I sometimes feel like giving a show that has any connection or reflection of reality to it that letting some things not be answered is, is a strength. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, Rabbi Barbara. Oh, you're muted, but you don't want to talk. Okay. Um, okay, so Rabbi Pernick and I wanted to, Rabbi Pernick can talk anytime, but I'll keep talking for him unless he wants to talk. Um, Rabbi Pernick and I wanted to kind of, as Rabbi Shapiro and I say often, like put a bow on this class um, and allow allow you to also just talk about the experience of the class uh, and whether that's in reflection of the show specifically or... <laughs> Rabbi Burning just wrote to me privately and I'm just going to read it to everybody because it's really funny. He wrote, I'm not a bow person. Don't pin this one on me. <laughs> You should have written that to everybody. Um, okay, that's true. You are not a bow person. Um, uh, it's fine. I'll, I'll I'll tie the bow. You can do the talking. Um, but but just just to allow people to feel like this is a really to use the word see you right to be able to to kind of summarize the experience that we've had together and to be able to talk about just the class, the relationships that have been built, um, the experience of watching a show and, and kind of picking out the pieces of, of Jewish law and of Jewish um, connection. Uh, and yeah, just we'll open the floor. Jeff, go ahead. And then we'll take yeah, I, I just really wanted to say the shows I thought were terrific, all the shows we watched, but, the experience of, of uh, seeing it with a bunch of uh, kind of new friends on the other coast, uh, that I think that just made it really a wonderful experience. Um, and I hope sometime we can maybe do something again together. For sure. Well, we definitely are going to do something together in March when, um, when we come to New Orleans for Shabbat. Um, Rabbi... Klingfeld, lots of rabbis. Rabbi Klingfeld and I are coming with a delegation from Temple Beth Am to the south, and are we're spending Shabbat. We actually changed our itinerary. We were supposed to be in the south last year, and we changed our itinerary based on this class um, to be in New Orleans over Shabbat because we had 
formed connections with the New Orleans community uh, and wanted to really to make sure that we had the chance to also meet people in person. So when it gets closer to the time, we'll definitely send out our details so that you can see us and learn with us and Rabbi Pernick and I will teach something together. Um, Rabbi Silver and I will be teaching something together. So you'll have the chance to, to get together and see people who will be on the trip. And then um, Rabbi Pernick and I will talk about whether or not we'll do a little a little class or something before that trip together to, to bring everybody together as well. I just said together a lot of times. Okay, Renee. I think it was really nice having another group from another population um, be with us and get to meet people. I think you and Rabbi Pernick are great. Uh, what's it called? Uh, compliment? Compliment? Oh, thanks. And I thought it was real. I think it's really interesting to be able to take a topic like a TV show and look for halachic points within it. So it kind of was a really nice way to meld the, the secular world even though it was a Hebrew show, but to meld the secular world with our Jewish world. Yeah. Thank Great. you. Thank, Thank you. I saw Hugo or Lise had their hands up. I don't know which, uh, it was Hugo. I saw a hand from the Hugo and Lise screen, but I don't know which of you it was. Just unmute yourself. There you go. There you go. We think the class has a lot of class. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Hugo. <laughs> and what That's day great. What date in March? We're going to be there from the 17th, which is a Thursday, um, through the Sunday morning of that weekend. So the 18th through the 20th, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And so what other- was the plan? You'll be at St. Joseph's Day. What did you say, Norm? We'll be there for St. Joseph's Day, March 19th. Great. Awesome. I would have never known that. Great. Um, what were you going to say, right, Pernick? I was trying to remember you were, yeah. you're going to spend Shabbos morning that on that trip at Sheikh Hadash. I don't remember what you're... You and I can talk about this offline, but I, I'll... What was this you. like for you guys? Oh. Hmm? That's a good question. Um, I'm happy. You should go first, and then I can disagree. What was that? <laughs> The what it's like, you know, what it was like for us. I I really enjoy. I feel like particularly with um, you know, with COVID times, just like co-teaching. I mean, this one obviously was sort of a much longer year-long, you know, sort of co-teaching thing. But it, it's a fun opportunity. I just I really enjoyed the the process of like teaching with friends and um and in this case, you know, something. So when I was in Ulpan in in uh, Israel. My homework every night was to watch Surgim. That was before it was subtitled because it was just an Israeli TV show and basically like argue about it with my Ulpan instructor. And like that was, that was most of the Ulpan. <laughs> it was like, if I got stuck on a word when I was arguing with her, then that would be like a vocabulary word for me to remember for the following day. Um, so there's something about, you know, TV and, you know, TV shows and things where um, they sort of naturally lend themselves to like to conversation, to debate, to argument. Um, and in this case, Having, you know, the two of us with our sort of different backgrounds and different perspectives, like, you know, it sort of, you know, makes it sort of an extra level of, uh, you know, as opposed to doing something similar for classes that are much more specifically halachic. Um, you know, I think it was, it's fun to be able to sort of do the halachic slash, you know, TV commentary uh, on the show. So... And it's been really fun to just sort of have all of you along for the ride as we've as we've gone through this. Originally, it was we were only planning on one season, and it's just you know, but um, but it's been it's been a lot of fun over the last year. 
Um, I don't disagree. I will leave on a note where I actually agree with Rod Pernick. Um, I, I just like Rod Pernick is not a bow person. He's also not a feelings person. So I'll, I'll add that. Um, I, I shared with everybody at the beginning of this class that one of the, one of the best aspects of, of my experience in this fellowship where I met Rod Pernick was being able to have discussions like the ones that we had in front of all of you with somebody who I trust and who I value in terms of opinion, but who I don't agree with all the time. And first of all, that makes it much more fun. If I agreed with him all the time, I probably wouldn't have suggested that we teach this class because part of what's so interesting is to be able to take something that is so crucial to both to all the communities that are coming together in this class, which for us, the topic was Jewish law, but really Jewish values and and Jewish life, and to be able to debate it on two different sides. And, and Rai Pernick and I never, you know, disagreed so much that we wouldn't talk before the next class, right? There was, it was always disagreement based on experience or actual, um, um, like value in our own lives. And that's real chavruta, right? There are, there are very few people in my life who I would say I have true chavruta with in terms of my own learning. And part of the reason that I suggested to Rabbi Pernick that we teach this class together is because I also want people to value chavruta in their own lives, to have these kinds of conversations that are not always um, the same or not always agreeable, but to be able to see dimensions of something from all different sides because you grow from that in the conversation and the people around you grow from the experience of that conversation. So I know that in my own life without, you know, a Zoom screen, I call Rabbi Pernick all the time to talk about things where he's not going to agree with me, but that's more interesting for me than to just have you know, an echo chamber telling me what I want to hear. So uh, that, that to me was a, an, a really impressive part of this class. And I think that it was made better by all of you starting to feel like community. And that was just a beautiful takeaway. I can't speak for Ipernic, but that was a beautiful takeaway for me to feel like, you know, Norm is coming to the South, but only to New Orleans because he has to get back to Los Angeles because of this community on this screen. And that's, that's really special. So I'm glad that all of those things and the things that I value about my friendship with Rabbi Pernick could be seen kind of on the, on the public outside for people to then value in their own, in their own learning and their own connection to Judaism. Michael. Just wanted to thank all of you, uh, especially during COVID this last year. Uh, the class and the discussion, obviously I have other classes with Rabbi Pernick and other Dobbin, but the, the bi-coastal class, it's been very special listening to the discussion and watching the show together. And I just wanted to thank you all for uh, letting me part be part of both of your communities on both in the South and the West from far North. It's been much appreciated and I hope we do it again. You're, wel- you're welcome anytime. Rebecca or Leonard. Yeah, I um, uh, 
both of us really enjoyed the class so much. Um, the part about um, exchanging ideas, you know, whether it was the rabbis or the other participants, I mean, uh, you know, that was, uh, everybody was respectful, but I mean, it was always interesting to hear different views. It was great that we had Srugim to talk about the episodes so that you could see kind of real life applications of whatever it was that we were talking about. That made it so interesting, too. And then um, finally, I really enjoyed that it was ongoing and weekly and we could look forward to it. And, you know, um, you know, you it 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 took time to kind of, you know, get to know each other and the pace of it and all. And so, I mean, it was wonderful that we were able to have it go on for so long. So that was really. um, I remember at one point back, um, I think it was at Gates Fest where I ran into Jeff and he was talking about how, so, you know, I was trying to plan something for a Wednesday night and I was like, no, sorry, I can't do Wednesday nights. Like Wednesday nights are booked. So, you know, that, that feeling of like, nope, no, I have a prior commitment, standing commitment Wednesday nights. Like, you know, it's um, yeah. To have it go, you know, for a year. I mean, for the New Orleans people now, Wednesday nights have been booked for like almost two years. Um, with between Schlissel and you know all the other shows. But yeah, it's like it's nice to have just kind of an ongoing community in that way, get to know each other. I I want to just add to the community piece that if anybody who is not already part of Betham is interested in any of these ongoing classes um, that Rai Parnikit and I aren't yet teaching together, um, but that I'm teaching or that are happening in our system, like, please know you're welcome. I mean, we really do value you as part of our community as well. And everything is open. There's no fee. We would love to have you as students in our classes. And um, especially the ones that I teach, I'm happy to Happy to see your faces there and have you as part of them. Um, she teaches great classes. Thank you, Brenda. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Robbie Barbara. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think this has been an extraordinary experience. Yes, it's because of COVID, but I think that COVID forced us to do something that we wouldn't have just done or we might have done, but it would have been 10 years from now. And it's, you know, it's great to be able to have, you know, I'm from LA. So and I know Beth Om and I know people that go to Beth Om. And, you know, it's to have that kind of place to go when you're, you know, when I go home or, or, you know, people who just come here because they come for a convention and know that they can come to Beth Israel. It's just, it's really, I think, a special experience and I'm really glad that you that you did it and it's you know I've gotten to know a lot of people in our community that I didn't know yeah sure thank you for that and agreed I think that COVID forced us into it but it was such a beautiful outcome um and one that that really opened us up. This is actually not the first class that Riley Pernick and I taught during COVID. Um, That's right. I forgot. We taught something on Ruth. Yeah. We taught on Meggie Lot Ruth, like right at the beginning of COVID. And that's when that class ended because people enjoyed learning with us. I said, I think we should do this class. And at first Riley Pernick was like, okay, one season. (laughs) And then here we are. Um, So I I think that, that you're right that, we didn't really realize what the blessings were going to be to something that we were kind of forced into doing. Um, Okay. Well, um, 
Right. Pernick and I will definitely talk about how we can continue something. I know that each of our communities now have different things going, <laughs> different things going on based on kind of reopening a little bit. And so it might not be, um, might not be as easy to just turn around and do something starting next week. But, um, next week and the week after, if you're interested, at 7.30, so it's a little bit late for some of you, I'm going to be teaching a class on um, the different characters in Brayshead in Genesis who connect to the book and now the movie, uh, TV show, The Handmaid's Tale. So if you're interested, it's just two weeks. It's just next week and the week after um, at 7.30 p.m. And it'll be a similar thing. We won't watch the show together, but it'll be a similar kind of comparison of modern day literature and film um to our torah and uh <laughs> thank you for that text right Pernick. um and i just wanted to i'm going to let right Pernick have the last word since he's spoken so much this uh, this uh podcast episode um I just want to say thank you. I mostly thank you to Ryan Parnick, who said yes to something that I was sure he was going to say no to. Um, but also, I think I said no before. I think I said no a couple of times. Before, you know. No, no, no. You said yes to this. You said no to Ruth a few times, and then we just started teaching uh, class together. But um, we said yes to this one pretty quickly. And um, and also, just I think the end of the episode, though a little bit anticlimactic, kind of was a nice way of us being able to see that all these characters really settled into something still together as a group, maybe on their own paths at this point. But um, I thought that was a nice kind of mirror into all of this in terms of all of us, you know, settling back into life, though still con- contained as a group and as um, and as a community. So thank you for doing this. It's a really emotional thing to actually be ending it. Um, but again, hopefully I'll get Roy Parnick to say yes to another class that we can teach together. The Lihitra yeah. out in the meantime. <laughs> well, you all see tomorrow morning, but okay, Rabbi Bernie, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> okay, did you say we're coming March 17th? Yes, March 17th, and we'll be right, in New Orleans through the 20th. That's forum. Yeah, we're coming after. We're going to be there at night. Okay. At night, yeah. At night, okay. Rabbi Pernick, you want the last word? Thank you all for, for joining for this uh, this whole experience. It's really been a lot of fun. Um, so, and hopefully a lot of you will get to see, I mean, the people who are local to here certainly hopefully will get to see you soon. And um, and the Los Angeles people hopefully will get to see you soon as well in, in some iteration, whether in person or something virtual. Um, but this has, been, this has been quite the ride. So thank you for, for joining us along the way. If you if you come the week before, you can celebrate the seventy seventh anniversary of my bar mitzvah. Wow! That's so the weekend Mark, before March seventeenth, along with twin brother Joe. But I may be in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Last wow! Year, last year we zoomed it, but it's Zahar. It's very exciting. Right. March seventeenth is the twenty-first anniversary of my bat mitzvah, um, so we will be we will be landing in New Orleans in order for me to get everybody a drink for my twenty-first anniversary of my bat mitzvah. We'll get you a daiquiri. Hurricane, get a hurricane. A hurricane. All right, the hurricane. Great. I don't know what that means, but I'm I'm all for it. All right, well, thank you, everybody. So so lovely, and we'll keep. We'll keep you all posted. You all are special.
Thank you, Hugo. Thank you, everybody. It's been great. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.